Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here again, as always, on this chilly morning. Um, Let's pray as we begin. Dear God, thanks so much for this day. Thanks that we can gather here together to hear your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be changed by you today. And we pray this for your glory and honour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8 It's a verse you've probably heard of a lot. It's kind of been my life verse ever since I became a Christian. Um, And I just love it because it seems to encapsulate a lot of the themes that we've been talking about so far in Deuteronomy. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Well, it's been a really rich time um, listening to the sermons over the past couple of weeks as we've delved into Deuteronomy. We've had the reprise to choose life as it continues to surface throughout the book, knowing our identity, knowing who we are, and then how we should act as a result of that. We've had finding practical ways to keep God's word always before us and to not forget who he is. And Shema the whole of life love for God, obedience and service and devotion. The origin of the great commandment to love the Lord your God and your neighbour as yourself was the Jewish Shema, a call to hear this command to love and for this love to infuse every single part of our lives. In all of our interactions at home, with our friends, in our workplaces, and in our wider community, we must live spiritually conspicuous lives, intentionally sharing our love for God and our faith in Jesus. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. In these two small verses, we find a summary of what God requires of us. And there's five of them. One, we are to fear the Lord not as in be afraid of him, but rather to treat him with reverence and respect as the holy and powerful God that he is. Two, we're to walk in his ways, follow him, imitate him, obey him, structure our lives around the things that matter to him and things that God honours and values. Three, we're to love God in the holistic sense of devotion from the heart, putting God first in our lives. Serve him, worship God in all of our lives, but also to seek out what matters to God and come alongside Christ and be co-creators with him of all that God is doing in the world. And fifthly, observe God's commands Heed, obey, keep, hold fast to the laws that God has given us to live by. 
What a great summary of Shema, encapsulating what God requires of us, our whole life love of God and devotion to him. Now, if we read this list, one could be forgiven for balking a little bit at these commands. They may come across as the demands of an arrogant and narcissistic God. Fear me, follow me, love me, serve me, obey me. And if you took these commands in isolation, it would be a totally understandable conclusion to arrive at. But there are two things that stop it from being cult-like instructions. One is the fact that these words are embedded in the larger story of God's relationship with his people, the people of Israel. And already at this point in Scripture, we've witnessed enough of God's power and mercy, his grace and his beauty to know that he is a God worthy to be praised. And secondly... It's the verses that come after these, verses 14 and 15. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, the descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. Yes, God is powerful, creator God, Everything was made by him and belongs to him, a God beyond compare. And yet, despite this, he chose us. He chose to set his heart in love on our ancestors and on us. There's nothing distant or removed about this all-powerful God that we serve. From the beginning, he chose to interact to relate to, and to love his people. There's nothing arrogant or narcissistic about that. Instead, it's a logic-defying decision to not stay aloof in his lofty realms, but to be among us and to set his heart for us. So God's call to us in verse 16 is this, "'Circumcise, then, the foreskin of your heart, "'and do not be stubborn any longer.'" It's a clear reference to the Jewish practice of circumcision where it was a physical sign to represent people's allegiance to God, that they are members of God's family. Here they are being called to circumcise their hearts. A person's identity, their allegiance, their values, where they belong and to whom they belong should also be obvious by the way that they live the choices they make, the way they love God and love their neighbours. Not just because God commands it, but because he is worthy. Look at verses 17 and 18. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Mighty and awesome. But he also executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the strangers, the refugees, providing them food and clothing. This is what our God is like. What a gobsmacking description. After his power, he is primarily described in terms of his deep compassion, 
a God of justice, a God of love, a God of provision. And verse 19, you shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You see that? God chose to pour out his grace and his love on our ancestors who were themselves refugees in Egypt. He showed them mercy. He cared for them. And as recipients of that grace and love, we're called to do the same for those who find themselves as refugees here. As much as this passage describes what Shemar is, it also introduces another important Hebrew concept, and that is the concept of shalom. Shemar and shalom, they go hand in hand. They're both interconnected. And I would go as far as to say that we find deep joy and meaning and purpose to our lives as well as bringing the most honour and glory to God when our Shema brings shalom into the world. So for the non-Hebrew speakers amongst us, including myself, um, let me explain shalom. I'll give you a picture. During my time in South Africa, I used to run trauma healing workshops. And as a part of that, we would go to to all the schools and work with Year 9 students. Um, this is a picture of one of the township schools and this particular school had what they termed black students, white students and coloured students, not my terms. Um, and what we would do is run these workshops to help give them a sense of life under apartheid and what their parents and grandparents had endured and help them to understand the racial conflicts that still influenced and shaped so much of their lives today. So we gave an assignment out and each child had to go home and interview a grandparent or somebody who had lived under apartheid and come back and give a, a speech to the class. Vusi was a young Zulu student. He stood bravely up in front of his classmates and he started to tell the story that his grandmother shared with him. And it was the story of his grandfather being taken out of their home by apartheid soldiers and shot in the head in front of them. And immediately after, his grandmother was raped. As Vusi started to share, he choked up and ran out of the room. He couldn't go on. Everybody in the room was silent, their heads bowed. They were choked up with the emotion and the horror of what they were hearing. It took Vusi three attempts to come back and try and continue the story. Silently, his classmates were honouring his courage. Finally, he was able to share the story, and then we had a break. Um, during this break, um, a, a white student came up to me, his name was Daniel, and he asked, he said, I don't want to share my story. Now, Daniel had been quite troublesome all week, <laughs> and so I thought he was just trying to get out of his assignment, uh, but I asked him why, and he pulled out a newspaper photograph, and in the front page of this newspaper was a photograph of his grandfather dressed in apartheid uniform, firing a rifle into a black crowd. Daniel said, I can't do it. 
I could see the angst in his face, especially after hearing Vussi's story, right? But I encouraged him that it was really important um, for the sake of understanding for all of the stories to be heard and to, told, and to be told. I could see that he was clearly terrified, but he agreed to do it. So he stood up in front of the class, he unfurled his newspaper photograph, which as you can imagine was met with um, curses and abuse. And in a soft voice, Daniel said, I interviewed my grandfather. I'm not proud of what he did, but I love him. At that point, kids started throwing rolled up bits of paper at him and yelling. Um, the tension in the room was palpable. At that point, something miraculous happened. Vusi stood up and he walked to the front of the class and he stood beside Daniel and put his hand on his shoulder. A very simple gesture of support. At that point, the whole class immediately fell silent and both Daniel and Vusi started to cry. Nothing further needed to be said. Vusi's actions and the tears that followed from both of them and the rest of the class was a beautiful picture of grace, the beginnings and exploration of forgiveness and restoration. It was a picture of shalom. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep, follow, hold fast to his commands. Serve God. So what does it look like to do this? To love God? To walk in his ways? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. When an alien lives with you in your land, love them as yourself. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, chapter, verse 24. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the one who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Or Isaiah 58, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And John 14 verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the work that I do. This is life. This is the way of the Lord. This is what it means to follow him and to choose him. This is the picture that God paints for us of shalom. You see, it's not enough for us just to express our devotion for God one-on-one -on -one between us and him. The two clauses are linked. One cannot survive without the other. Love God and love neighbour. Neither can breathe without the other. If you claim to love God but hate your neighbour, 
The love of God is not in you. At its most basic, the Hebrew shalom is a picture of life in all its fullness. It's a sense of completeness, perfectness, wholeness, safety, wellness, rest. It's the way things ought to be. It's the restoration of broken relationships. It's being in right relationship with God, with our neighbours, and with the earth God has given us. It's Daniel and Vusi being able to tell their stories and hear each other's experiences and cry with one another and stand there and their willingness to recognise the wrongs done but to reach out in understanding and forgiveness and try and imagine a new future and a new way of being together. But it's more than just the absence of suffering and tears. Shalom is so much more than that. I may have shared with you before, but there is a word in Zulu uh, and it's embedded in lots of African cultures and it's called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am because you are and you are because I am. And it's that sense that we cannot be fully human or fully ourselves. We cannot be fully who God created us to be while another person is lacking in any way. As long as there is someone without, in pain, suffering, not able to live up to their full potential, then we cannot be fully whole. We cannot be fully right in ourselves because we're all connected. Each of our lives impacts the, impacts the well-being of others. And this concept's found in our passage today in verse 13. It says, Keep the decrees to love and bring justice. I am commanding you. Hear this for your own well-being. Yes, we cannot be completely well or whole unless we live this way, loving God and loving neighbour. While even one person is being denied the right to be fully who God created them to be, while even one person's not given the opportunity to live and flourish, then none of us can do so. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, here, now. He's calling us to pray for God's kingdom here on earth, his kingdom of peace and justice and abundance. This is what is so amazing, that the God of shalom, the God of justice and wholeness and peace, he asks us to work out with him what this shalom, what this new world looks like. Listen to this in John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. We are given the same work to do as Jesus, a divine collaboration. Can you believe it? And what is this work? Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is Jesus' proclamation for ministry. It's the gospel, the good news. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That shalom, word and action, 
together, not one without the other. This is what brings life in all of its abundance. Now, we don't have to look very far to see this is not the world that we live in right now. The latest statistics from the United Nations tell us that there are now over 100 million people who have been forcibly removed from their homes by persecution or war or human rights violations. That is one in every 78 people on this earth. It's a global crisis. And if all of these displaced people on earth were to make up a country of their own, they would be the 14th most populous nation on earth. And while the world's richest countries, including Australia, host a mere 17% of the world's refugees, developing countries that are least resourced to do so host the majority of these people. And while children only account for 30% of the whole world's population, they make up 42% of the displaced peoples on earth. As we look around us, it's clear we're not living in a state of shalom, but we do see glimpses of it. Many of you would have followed the Home to Bilo um, campaign. Priya and Nadis are Tamil asylum seekers who fled war and persecution in Sri Lanka. They, along with their two daughters, Tharunika and Kopika, have just been released from over four years of detention, um, including them being the only people imprisoned on Christmas Island, which they described as really damaging for their health and painfully lonely. Now they've been released and returned to their community that they were a part of in Biloela, Queensland. And this is in no small part due to the years of protest and advocacy and unrelenting pressure that people like you and me have applied to the government. Regular marches for freedom have become, refugee freedom, have become a, a part of the fabric of our landscape. It's sad that they've had to be, but I'm also glad that they have, as it's an opportunity for normal people to raise their voices and demand justice and to yearn for a better world. For the many people of faith involved in this and many other refugee advocacy cases, it's been an opportunity for them to live out their Shema, the call to love and to bring about Shalom, God's justice. Whatever your political persuasion, these photos of Prime Minister Anthony Albanese embracing this family and welcoming them is what the majority of Australians have wanted for this family all along. And it's a picture of God's heart for refugees, a picture of welcome and embrace. We do see God's shalom breaking into earth wherever his people are and where his people are loving God and walking in his ways. But it doesn't just happen. We have to actively seek it out to be co-creators with God of this new heaven and new earth. Shalom requires the active pursuit of what ought to be. And in order for shalom to take root, 
there must be justice. In his book, Pursuing Justice by Ken Witzma, he talks about justice as an extension of shalom. And he describes it as recovering the full-orbed biblical concept of justice and inviting it back into our lives. And when we understand that justice is rooted in the character of God and flows from the heart of God, we can see that it permeates all of life. And what a joy it's been to see this church community here at Deep Creek living out their Shema to bring shalom into the world. Week by week, people are still faithfully, um, without recognition or much incentive other than to live out this love, they travel to Dandenong and pick up B and take her to all of her appointments. And, you know, it's not always easy. It's rarely convenient. But they faithfully and uncomplainingly do this week after week. At random, undisclosed moments, word goes out to church that blankets are needed or particular material items of aid. And every time without fail, before the day is out, those needs are always met and met in abundance. And then people have faithfully delivered those things to the Afghan families. It was most tangible when, during lockdown last year, and the 2,000 Afghan evacuees arrived in Melbourne, um, with logistics complicated by lockdowns and the slow wheels of bureaucracy, it was the church, including this church, that funded, clothed and fed these evacuees in their first few weeks in the country. We've got people here who have knitted prayer shawls and beautiful blankets so that every family can have warmth this winter. And it goes on and on and on. This church, this is the church catching a glimpse of God's vision of shalom for refugees. And each of these people and communities have found ways to live out their Shema in order to bring shalom into the world. And this is how this passage finishes, how it began. You shall fear God, worship him, hold fast to him. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these awesome things that have been witnessed. And he has blessed his people. God has made them as numerous as the stars in heaven. He is so worthy to be praised. So this is my challenge and my encouragement today. In what unique ways has God shaped each of us, our experiences, our upbringings, our families, our passions, our faith? And remember, this shaping happens through the tough and the painful experiences we go through as well, not just the good ones. And what are we doing that allows for fullness of life and life in all of its abundance? that provides opportunities for ourselves, our communities and others to be all that God has created us to be. Living out our call to love, Shema, to bring about life in all of its abundance, Shalom. Amen.